Hello and welcome to the monthly edition of Nothing But Net podcast. It is Saturday and we are two days removed from the NBA trade deadline. Pretty exciting deadline. A lot of stuff went down, but we're just going to go in chronological order in which these trades happened, except in the end it gets kind of fuzzy because they all just happened at once. Um, so the first trade that we have happened pretty early on. Um, the Bucks sent Miles Plumley to the Hornets in exchange for Spencer Hawes and Roy Hibbert. Uh, first impressions of this trade, Mason? Yeah, um, this was pretty much just a salary dump for Charlotte. Um, I don't really know why they got Roy Hibbert in the first place when they did. Um, you know, when he signed that contract, we knew it was pretty much going to end up being a salary dump later on, and so that's what happened. They weren't u- really using Spencer Hawes because they've kind of got another Spencer Hawes and Frank Kaminsky, and Cody Zeller's taking up most of the playing time right now um, at the at the center position for them. Um, so I think this is a decent move by them to just kind of drop some salary. Yeah, this was not a very exciting trade. Um, Milwaukee realized they made a mistake on signing Plumlee to that huge deal this summer because Henson's been playing well at center for them. Monroe has been giving them scoring off the bench, so they really haven't used Plumlee, even though he's making like $12.5 million over the next four years uh, each year. So it was great for them to get his contract off their books. And so it really, this trade... You know, who won it, it depends on if Charlotte can salvage Plumlee as a backup center for them. Um, And then Milwaukee, we'll talk about it later, they ended up moving Hibbert again. So, I mean, it was really just a great deal for them to get that contract off their books. And then Hawes is on a short-term deal, and they don't even have Hibbert anymore. So, pretty, just a clerical trade, but it was good for both teams, I think. Um, Next trade we have... Uh, this one was actually pretty important, and I think probably one of the more underrated trades of the deadline. Um, Denver got Mason Plumley from Portland in exchange for Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, also, Denver received a 2018 second-round pick, and Portland was able to get Denver's first-round pick in this year's draft. So at first glance, it really seems like Portland won this deal. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, Mason Plumlee was kind of, um, I mean, he's a good player, but he didn't really have a spot with um, Denver just because they've got a lot of bigs there that kind of all do the same thing. You look at Myers Leonard and players like that. Um, I think he fits better in Denver because he can kind of act as a Jokic when Jokic is not on the court. Um, it was obvious that Nurkic was kind of getting pushed out. I think they could have gotten um, a better deal for Nurkic than they did. Um, especially giving up that first-round pick, which in this really deep draft is probably going to end up hurting them. Yeah, no, the first-round pick is the thing that stands out for me because, I mean, they had to get rid of Nurkic, but you feel like they could have gotten more, and they ended up giving up more when giving Nurkic away. Plumlee fits well with them. The biggest thing that stands out to me with this trade is, like, you look at future cap considerations. Uh, Portland didn't extend Mason Plumley, and so they were going to have to figure out whether or not they wanted to match whoever gave him an offer sheet this summer. Um, whereas Nurkic, they now have, since he is a year younger, they're going to have the ability um, to extend him in the future if they want to, but they'll have more time to decide on that. So this actually 
puts Denver in a little bit of a pickle. I mean, if they're really sold on Mason Plumley, then they can just match whatever offer sheet someone gives him this summer. But if he ends up getting a big deal from someone else, then they essentially gave away Nurkic and a first-round pick for nothing. Yeah, I think even though Mason Plum is a good player, he's just not, and he will be a good fit as a backup to to um, Jokic in Denver. I don't think trading for a center was the right option for Denver, just because like you know the, the payload you're going to get back for um, Nurkic is going to be a good player, and you don't need another good center. You don't need somebody who's going to demand a lot of money on an open market. Um, because you don't want to re-sign Mason Plumley and be paying him the same amount you're going to end up paying Jokic. So, you know, preferably they would have gotten maybe a wing or something like that, or maybe a um, a good like stretch four. But that ended up not being the case. Yeah, I think maybe best case scenario they would trade away Nurkic for some sort of bench wing and then maybe a first round pick or something like that. Um, but trading away for a big, like you said, especially about to go into a restricted free agency, just really puts them in a tough situation. Um, so the next trade, first blockbuster trade of the deadline, because we had a couple of them. Uh, Toronto finally getting a power forward who can really help them a lot in Serge Ibaka. And they're getting it in exchange for Terrence Ross and their 2017 first-round pick. And one note on that, it's going to be the lower of the Clipper pick and the Toronto pick because they have both of those this year. Um, so first glance, I definitely think that Toronto won this trade. They finally got the power forward that they needed in order to compete with Cleveland. Um, and Orlando, I felt like that they sold low. Ross is on a good contract. He's only making $10.5 each year for the next three years, and he'll be a good starter for Orlando. But the biggest deal with this is that Orlando never should have traded for Serge Ibaka. They got they lost Oladipo and the pick that was ended, ended up being DeMontis Sabonis. Getting Ibaka for half a year as a rental and then losing him again for Terrence Ross. So they essentially traded Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis for Terrence Ross and a low first round pick. Yeah, looking at it that way, it's obviously not a good deal at all. Overall, um, this year-long move by the Magic, but um, just on the surface, I think it was pretty obvious that Serge Ibaka was not going to want to stay in Orlando long-term. He's not he's not too old, but I mean, Orlando is a ways from competing for a championship, um, and I don't think Serge would, would want to stick around for that rebuilding process any longer. Um, I think he fits well in Toronto. Uh, but the thing with the Magic is I think they probably should have argued harder for Corey Joseph. Maybe they tried that, but um, again, th this just kind of ended up being a deal where they were going to lose him in free agency if they didn't ship him off somewhere. Yeah, no, they, they in my opinion, they need to get someone back along with Ross in that deal. Um, but I, in terms of Ibaka's fit in Toronto, he's going to be really good for them. Um, he They own his bird rights now, so they can re-sign him. They, that's going to be some major tax issues for them, but if they really want to compete, then they're going to have to do that. And because additionally, they have, they would re-sign Lowry, assuming they would re-sign Lowry this summer. Um, but another thing is that Serge can play a really good small ball five. And we saw that against the Warriors when he was at the Thunder last year. So he, they can match up with the Cavs. And even if they make the finals, they can match up with the Warriors. So I think Ibaka is a huge get for them. Yeah, and you can look at it as he's a much better shooting and further along in terms of career um, progression version of Bismack Biyombo, who they had last year in the playoffs and was a big help for them. 
as a small ball five against Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so we'll move right on next to the biggest trade of the deadline happening almost immediately after the end of the All-Star game. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins getting shipped to New Orleans along with his teammate Omri Caspi. Uh, Sacramento getting in return Buddy Heald, Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, the Pelicans 2017 first rounder and their 2017 second rounder. So my biggest deal is whenever you trade a star, you're going to lose that trade. And even though it's necessary to sometimes trade stars, um, you, no matter what, I mean, unless you're doing a star swap, which I cannot think of a single time that's happened, um, you're going to lose that trade because it's impossible to get that same amount of talent in return. Yeah, and even if you were to, I mean, even if you were to look at the advanced stats and say like, oh, I got the same amount plus minus wise, you're still, you know, trading in four quarters on the dollar, which is never a good idea. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest deal was Sacramento wanted to change the culture. Uh, they, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins has been a great player for them, but they've never won with him. And they believe that the culture started with him. So they wanted to um, change that culture. And, and so getting rid of him was, uh, I guess, their biggest um, talking point in terms of that. Uh, Buddy Heald, it's, I've seen some posts about Vivek really thinking that Buddy Heald can be the next Steph Curry, and so that's why they were so persistent on trading with the Pelicans. Uh, Vladi Divac saying that he had a better deal for Cousins two days prior, and they didn't take it because Vivek wanted Buddy Heald so bad. Um, so what do you think of that? I think, I mean, it pretty much all comes down. I mean, Sacramento's trade, what they get in return, it pretty much all comes down to Buddy Heald's development. Do you think he can really be the next Steph Curry? No, I think at best he's a, he's a, uh, like a Jamal Crawford, instant offense off the bench type player. And even to get to that point, he'll have to better develop his three point shot. Cause he was a really good three point shooter coming out of college, but he hasn't shown that tremendously yet. Um, honestly, I think this this deal was terrible, and it's reflective of why the Kings are never going to probably make the playoffs until um, they get new new ownership and new leadership. Um, you know, they've they've changed ownership and leadership a couple of times now in this era of terribleness that they've had, but they I still don't think they have the right people in place, no matter who they have on the court, um, to to compete at any level. Yeah, I mean, you think about what they said about. They want to change the culture, and they believe to start with cousins. It it really doesn't. It starts with ownership, and it starts with the people that run the team. And so that's where that's where the Kings are failing right now. Uh, one more thing to note, I think that's interesting is Tyreek Evans back in a Kings uniform. Feel kind of bad for him, uh, but he's only got this year remaining, so he'll be gone after this, presumably. Uh, they also do like Langston Galloway. They ended up keeping him and waving someone else. Someone else, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Matt Barnes. Actually, they waved Matt Barnes to keep Langston Galloway. Um, but anyway, yeah, this trade. Uh, let's talk about the impact it has for the Pelicans. Do you think they could sneak into the eight seed now? No, I don't think they can. They have absolutely no pieces around um, around Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins besides maybe Drew Holiday, but he. Is he's had so many issues with with family issues and injuries and things like that that he's not gonna. I don't think he's ever gonna be the consistent player that he used to be when he was in Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I I don't think. I mean, you look at like 
you look at the West standings, and there's pretty much seven teams that are like 45 wins or better teams, um, starting with the Thunder and the Grizzlies and them. But then below that, it drops off pretty significantly to like Denver and Portland right now mm-hmm. at the moment. And I don't think this trade puts the Pelicans anywhere near those top seven teams. Even if even if you had Davis and Cousins for a full season, I still think at best they're among the Denvers and the Portlands. Yeah, uh, I saw one really interesting tweet. Uh, Nurkic has played really well for Portland, obviously a small sample size. Uh, but someone said, Nurkic, you know, they listed his stats for the past couple games and said, maybe this was the big man deal that decides the eighth seed in the West where everyone else was thinking it was the DeMarcus Cousins deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at like Drew Holiday, Davis, and Cousins, and then in between those two guys, you got Etwan Moore and Solomon Hill, the two guys that they signed this summer. It's a pretty big deals for defensive purposes, but that gives them no shooting. Yeah. And it's they're, they're going to have to figure something out on the wing, especially with Caspi getting waived because he fractured his thumb they're gonna have to find shooting from somewhere they signed Jared Jack uh I think they worked out Mario Chalmers maybe but there's there's just no way that they can compete I think Portland's in a good spot right now Denver's even playing well um I mean maybe we'll see Cousins and Davis get to the point this season to where they're like unstoppable and so their offense gets them in but I think it's going to take some time for them to develop and so I think this year they probably miss the playoffs I would agree. I think in terms of the impact for Sacramento, um, they're headed for the lottery again now and probably for the next five years Um, because they just, as always, have a big contingent of players who were drafted in the middle of the lottery and didn't pan out to be stars as well as players who would be good role players on championship teams but are not fit to be starters or good players on teams like Sacramento. Yeah, one more thing I want to mention with this trade before we move on. Cousins and his agent were saying pretty vehemently that they were not going to, that Cousins was not going to sign with any team that traded for him. They were saying he wants to be in Sacramento. That's where he wants to be for his career. And so if they traded him, then he wasn't going to resign. He was going to go back to Sacramento. Do you think he resigns with the Pelicans? I have no idea. I don't think, I think Cousins is one of those players that you can't even, you, you can't really trust anything he says. I mean, he still behaves like a 15 year old. Um, and I don't think the Pelicans have the culture to help him with that, honestly. Um, and until he gets to the point where he just grows up and becomes a man, he, he's not going to reach his potential. So he could go back to Sacramento. I don't know. That'd be a terrible move for him for his career. Um, but I think it's just a wild card at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's really nothing to predict uh, when it comes to a player's decisions on where they want to play. Um, so moving on to the next trade. Washington, they wanted some bench scoring. They wanted another guard uh, to shoot the ball. So they ended up getting Boyan Bogdanovich from the Nets. They also picked up Chris McCullough, a power forward that the Nets have been trying to develop, who's only in the second year of his contract, his rookie deal. And they shipped off Andrew Nicholson, who's on a pretty, pretty bargain deal for a backup power forward, and also Marcus Thornton, who really hasn't played that well. But they also gave up their 2017 first-round pick. Uh, first reaction, who do you think won this trade? Um, I would say Brooklyn won this trade just because they're going to get a first-round pick in this draft. Um, well, they already had one because Boston is a, a swap, not, yeah. a, not a clear, like, you get this pick. But um, that itself is going to be valuable no matter how late it is. Um, and then, like you said, Andrew Nich- Nicholson's on a, on a pretty good deal. So. 
Um, yeah, Bojan, I wasn't a huge fan initially of Washington choosing him as their guy because right now Porter's been playing really well as a starting small forward, and Oubre has been solid off the bench, even as a backup four um, in small ball lineups. So getting another kind of combo forward is a little bit weird, and he's also on the last year of his deal, so that puts them in some cap situations there. Chris McCall is interesting. I really haven't been keeping track of the development of him in Brooklyn, but maybe he can turn into something in Washington. We'll have to see about that. Uh, Marcus Thornton, one thing to note, he immediately got waived by the Nets. The Nets being sellers in this trade deadline, just getting rid of some good players that they have in exchange for picks and uh, taking on salary. Um, so the Nets, I think they did win this trade. Um, moving on to the next trade, the Hawks getting Ursan Ilyasova from the 76ers in exchange for Tiago Splitter. Uh, and a couple of complicated pick options. Basically, the entire motive behind this deal was Atlanta needed some shooting. I think they're like 25th in the NBA in three-point percentage. Uh, Ursan Eliasova is a good backup, and he can play with Paul Millsap, I think. Um, and also, when Millsap needs a break, uh, Philly, like Brooklyn, is, is a seller. They're just getting rid of some good players for some picks. One thing that's interesting about this and another trade later, I think, is this seems like a Sam Hinkie move. So why why is Colangelo not getting not getting backlash for shipping off good players in exchange for salary dumps and picks? Yeah, I think this isn't even a move that Hinkie would make. I mean, this is worse than a move that Hinkie would make, in my opinion. Um, you compare this to the Brooklyn trade. I don't even see the value in this. Ursan Eliasova is a good shooter. Um, you know, you could you could argue that he was creating a log jam at the power forward position with Saric there and Ben Simmons potentially coming back. Now we know he's not going to come back, but Nerlens Noel and, and Julian Okafor and all those guys down there. Um, but you're not really getting anything from in return. Tiago Splitter is just another guy who you're going to add to your front court. There's going to be a log jam there. He's injured at the moment now, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he's injured and he's got a year left. So, so that, they're essentially getting nothing from Tiago Splitter. And then both of their pick options are second rounders. So what value are you going to get as from a second rounder for a rebuilding team? You know, rebuilding teams don't really use second rounders unless they strike gold with a player like Draymond Green or somebody. Yeah, I think I think a lot of teams are probably in pursuit of Ilyasova just because Philadelphia was sellers at this trade deadline, and Ilyasova is a good veteran leader who can shoot the ball. I'm pretty sure Dario Saric actually tweeted out something like he was really going to miss Ilyasova. You know, they're they're kind of they play the same position. They're both European guys who shoot the ball, and Saric really valued him as a leader and a guy who mentored him. So when you take that into account, I'm not sure why they got rid of him. Uh, but good deal for Atlanta. I mean, they got rid of a guy who wasn't playing for them and a couple second-round picks for a guy that's going to help them immediately. Um, the next trade is a huge one. Houston getting Lou Williams from the Lakers in Magic Johnson's first move as president of basketball ops for them. Uh, in return, they got Corey Brewer and the Rockets' first-round pick. Um, wow, I... I I forgot about Lou Williams' salary. He is on a bargain deal for a guy who can really shoot the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a, pretty much a steal for Houston. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a steal. I think it was. I think you can see there's benefits for both teams. The Lakers are not at a position where they're wanting to keep all of these guys like Lou Williams on contract necessarily because they're in a rebuilding process. And, and veterans who play 
specific roles typically you don't need unless they're going to act as mentors. I don't know if that was the case for Lou Williams or not, but I always compare him to like a Jamal Crawford type player. You know, you don't need a Jamal Crawford in Philly or Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, I would say this is a great get for Houston because he's going to bring immediate scoring off the bench. Um, as another player who is essentially as tall as a point guard that they're going to play at shooting guard along with Eric Gordon. Um, yeah, I think overall Houston won the deal, like you said, but I don't know if it was necessarily by as much as it may look on the surface. Yeah, uh, I mean, the first-round pick that the Lakers are getting is going to be pretty low, probably 27. Um, but it's still a first-round pick, and first-round picks are valuable. And like you said, the Lakers had no need for Lou Williams. So I think it was I think it was necessary for both teams. Uh, also, Houston getting rid of Corey Brewer's salary was nice. Uh, the next trade, um, I'm not really sure why Denver wanted Roy Hibbert, but they got him. They got him from Milwaukee in exchange for a 2019 second-round pick. I mean, they already got Plumlee. I guess maybe they wanted a third center. Um, oh, you know what? It's probably the salary floor. I haven't I haven't checked, but I, I bet Denver hasn't hit the salary floor yet. And for those who are listening and don't understand the salary floor, it's essentially like if you don't pay out enough money to players in a season, then you have to cut checks to them at the end of the season for excess money that you haven't made. Um, and so at the trade deadline, teams that are have low payrolls like the Sixers or the Kings or someone who's not very good and has low payrolls will take on salary dumps to get to that salary floor. So that's probably what this deal was about. Yeah. Um, Next deal, Oklahoma City, I think this was a pretty good deal for them. They got Taj Gibson, they got Doug McDermott, and a 2018 second-round pick. They got rid of Cameron Payne and then a couple of guys who are on the last year of their deals in Anthony Morrow and Joffrey Lawburn. Um, what do you think of this trade? Yeah, okay, so obviously um, need shooters. Doug McDermott can shoot the ball. Taj Gibson can't, but um, he's going to be a solid Veteran off the bench for them. Um, well, I don't know if he, he'd be off the bench or if he'd start over who starts now. Sabonis. Sabonis. He Sabonis is borderline starter, so I bet Gibson ends up starting. Yeah, but regardless, um, really good defender, veteran leader. Plus, Doug McDermott is a good shooter, and they're essentially dumping players that they weren't using too much anyway. Yeah, I think the biggest thing about this is Chicago wants Payne to be a starter. They said that. Uh, when it happened, they want Cameron Payne to be their starting point guard of the future. I haven't seen him play a ton this season with obviously Westbrook getting the majority of the minutes, but he hasn't been phenomenal. Um, so it's it's interesting to see. It's interesting to know maybe what Chicago sees in him, but you know they give up a couple of players that are pretty good. You figure Taj Gibson, you could get some value back in, in exchange for a contender that wanted Taj Gibson. Uh, but they end up getting Cameron Payne, and so that the deal comes down to how good Cameron Payne can be. And then Anthony Morrow and Jeffrey Lover are essentially just a salary match. Um, the next deal, very good deal for Dallas as well, getting Nerlens Noel on the last year of his rookie contract. They want him to be the center of the future in Dallas, and then Philadelphia dumping, or I'm sorry, Dallas dumping Andrew Bogut and Justin Anderson onto Philadelphia, uh, and also... <laughs> A 2017 first round pick, one through 18 protected, um, so they essentially didn't didn't lose it. Um, 
So yeah, Andrew Bogut was immediately bought out by Philadelphia, so he can sign with a contender if he wants to. And one thing to note is, since he got bought out by Philadelphia, not by Dallas, he can go back to Golden State if he wants to. That's an interesting loop in this loophole in the CBA that I think was brought up by Bobby Marks. Uh, but Dallas giving up on Justin Anderson after just about a year and a half of development, what do you think of that? I think um, Dallas made the right move here. I think Nerlens Noel long-term has a lot more potential than Justin Anderson does. And, you know, Philadelphia was going to have to move on, on Nerlens Noel at some point. Otherwise, he was going to walk just because they have Joel Embiid there. Um, and Nerlens Noel is, is a player that that is going to need more playing time than Ben Simmons, Dario Sarge, and Joel Embiid are probably going to be willing to give up. Yeah. Um, um, and... The one thing about this trade for me was because that first-round pick is protected and it's just going to convert to second-rounders, this will essentially turn into Nerlens Noel for Justin Anderson and a couple picks. And I think Nerlens Noel is worth more than that, even if Justin Anderson's going to fit well with the Sixers. Yeah, I've heard a lot of opinions on Nerlens Noel. It feels like I feel like the experts are really tagging him as a young Tyson Chandler with maybe even more potential than that. Um, and obviously Tyson Chandler worked out well for Dallas in the past, and if they can get Nerlens Noel on a long-term deal this summer in restricted free agency, then he could really be the future for them, because, I mean, they've missed out on centers in the past few years with Jordan and with Whiteside deciding to sign with other teams. Um, Justin Anderson gives Philly a wing. I like, I like that Philly got Justin Anderson in this deal. Um, Robert Covington for them has been great but they don't know if they're going to be able to keep him because he's been so good. Justin Anderson still has two and a half years on his rookie deal for him to play alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and develop. So I like this deal for both teams. Um, moving on to the next trade we had, this one happened right at the buzzer, or at least that's when Adrian Wojnarowski reported it. It was like almost exactly at 2 o'clock Central, which is when the trade deadline is. Toronto getting the LeBron stopper, P.J. Tucker, in exchange for Jared Solinger, who has not really done anything for them. And then a couple of second-round picks. So Phoenix, obviously another one of those teams that was sellers and just wanted to get to the salary floor in exchange for some picks or something like that. Um, Phoenix doesn't really get much out of this. I mean, Solinger maybe adds something to their team this year, but they're headed to the lottery, and he's going to leave after that. Uh, but Toronto gets P.J. Tucker for this year. Masai Ujiri really going all out this year, getting Tucker and Ibaka on the last year of their deals. Do you think that they can legitimately compete with Cleveland? I think they have a lot better shot now um, for a couple of reasons. One, the players that they gave up to get Tucker and Ibaka, for the most part, weren't you know weren't like players that were getting huge minutes. Um, Norman Powell had pretty much taken all the minutes from Terrence Ross at this point. Um, and Jared Sullinger, even though they were big hopes for him when he signed um, this past summer, failed to perform with uh, Pascal getting almost all the minutes anyway that Jared Sullinger would, should have gotten. Um, the only reason I think they could possibly compete with Cleveland at this point is because of, of Kevin Love's injury. We'll have to see how that pans out if he comes back at full strength um, anytime soon. However, I don't think this is just about Cleveland. Um, at this point, Toronto, you may even argue that they're worse than the Celtics, so they've got a bigger turnaround than, than they expected at the beginning of the season. 
Yeah, the game last night, that's a good point you brought up with the Celtics. The game last night between those two teams seemed like it was really heated because Toronto's been, you know, the second best team in the East for a couple of years now, and the Celtics emerging. It seems like Toronto doesn't want to give up that spot. Right now, Toronto actually has the fourth best record because Washington is ahead of them. Um, but yeah, the Celtics and the Raptors could be an interesting rivalry. It, I mean, it all depends on what the Celtics do with their assets uh, in the future. But Toronto, I mean, they're going all out right now. They want to win with the core that they have. Yeah, They don't really have much room, though, after these moves to pack on any more because they're going to be hitting the tax hard after the season if they re-sign their current players. Yeah, I mean, if because Lowry is going to be a free agent, Ibaka is going to be a free agent, they're going to have to make a decision on Valanciunas. Honestly, if I was the Raptors, I would probably move on from him because Ibaka could play a lot of small ball five. They could go with a more of a serviceable big rather than a guy that's going to get a lot of money in the market like Valanciunas is. Um, and DeMar DeRozan's already on that monster contract. DeMar DeRozan is making a ton of money. And then they, P.J. Tucker, if they like him, they could keep him. Uh, but it all depends on their salary. So moving on ahead of that, Houston making a couple of deals to get rid of some salary. They got rid of Tyler Ennis in exchange for Marcelo Huertas from the Lakers, but they immediately waived him. And then they also shipped KJ McDaniels to the Nets in exchange for a heavily protected second round pick. So essentially they exchanged him for nothing because heavily protected means they're going to keep that pick. Um, so a couple things out of these two trades the Lakers getting Tyler Ennis, I mean, that's essentially just a flyer. They're, they'll see how he does. They're just taking on some salary. Um, it's, not, it's not even much salary. I mean, the difference between the two really is that Marcelo Huertas' deal next year is non-guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Ennis is on his rookie deal, so he's going to be an RFA at some point, and they can take the team option with him next year. Um, KJ McDaniels is going to get some playing time in – Brooklyn, I know a lot of people, uh, there's some sort of cult fan base for KJ McDaniels because he's so athletic. I think people want to see him get playing time. They thought that would happen in Houston. It didn't happen probably because he can't shoot. But Brooklyn, they've won nine games this year, and so he can get some playing time there. Um, what is Daryl Morey up to? Like, Why would they get rid of these two salaries? Do you think they have someone they're planning on signing? I can't think of, think of anyone off the top of my head. Their biggest need right now is somebody, some big wing who can contribute and shoot. Um, because, like we mentioned earlier, all of their guards are tiny. They're not wing players. They're all guards. Um, so essentially the only player they have that is a true wing is Trevor Ariza, because even Sam Decker is more of a forward. So I don't know what guards, what wings are even available on the market right now. I mean, you talk about um, players that Cleveland was looking at signing. They're, they're point guards. They're like Mario Chalmers, players like that. I don't know who is available as a 3 and D player for, for Houston. Yeah, I mean, 3 and D players are really valued in today's NBA, and so they're pretty much all signed. Uh, my initial thought in terms of guys that Houston want to sign, I went international because maybe international players could fill some roles, and I thought of Milos Teodosic from Serbia. Um, but then we, Mason and I talked about it. Yeah, they have a lot of guards. Uh, they don't need someone like that. They they need a bigger guy who can guard forwards. And so it, it'll be interesting to see who they sign with this salary or maybe if they just wanted to get rid of some rookie deals. Yeah, what they need is Corey Brewer, but they got rid of him. Uh, well, <laughs> they need a player that Corey Brewer used, used to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what Houston does with that. Um, last deal, 
of the trade deadline. Uh, Mike Scott going from Atlanta to Phoenix uh, in exchange for cash considerations. There's not much there. I mean, I, I'm not even sure what to talk about with that. Yeah, just a salary dump. Yeah. Um, so one more thing I want to bring up before we end this. Boston, they didn't do anything. They they have held pat on their mountain of assets. There were a lot of rumors that they were talking with Indiana and with Chicago about getting Paul George or Jimmy Butler. Do you think they made the right decision to hold off on that until maybe this summer or maybe even farther ahead into the future? Yeah, I think just what happened was um, Indiana and Chicago are not teams that are desperate to get rid of those stars. They're not sure that they're going to walk or anything like that. Um, so they had just had more leverage and trying to get more of Boston's assets, and Boston has a lot of assets to take. So it was probably just Danny Ainge just avoiding dumb moves, which is what he's really good at. It's just avoiding moves where he's getting rid of too many assets. So maybe they end up getting one of those players later a couple years down the road in, in free agency. Maybe they get Gordon Hayward in free agency. Who knows? But um, I don't think not making a trade was a dumb decision. They could The only dumb decision they could have made was giving up too many assets. Yeah, I think you put it perfectly there, so I won't say anything about that. But one thing I do want to say is that there were, I think, Woj report. No, no, Sam Amick of USA Today reported that there was essentially a memo sent out to the rest of the league. or It wasn't official, but it was like, hey, this is going to happen, of Paul George is going to be a Laker in 2018 if they don't trade him. Essentially, Paul George wants to go play for the Lakers in 2018 once he's a free agent, and so trading him might be a bad idea. Um, that's That was just reports. I don't know how true that is, but it came from a reputable source, so that's one thing to look for in the future. Um, any closing thoughts? Getting close to champ week for NCAA basketball. NCAA basketball. Uh, we are only a little less than a week away from the month of March, which is one of the best months for the sport of basketball. So next month we will be releasing a podcast uh, once Selection Sunday has passed where we can break down the bracket and who we think can win the championship. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining us for this trade deadline special. Um, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time.